you guys. Good stuff this morning. Um, Kim referenced last night our our partner uh, event, and it was amazing to be there. And one of the things that we emphasized was groups. And so I just want to talk about that just for a moment. You walked in, and there's a big table and balloons and tons of people scattered around wearing green shirts. And the reason for that is because we think groups are incredibly important here at Radius. It's where you're known. It's where you are are able to know others. It's where you can ask questions. It's the place where when you have celebrations in life, you can go to that group and celebrate. It's where when you have heartache, you can go and weep with them. It's when when you have a question that comes to you, you can process it. We want you to be in group. We want the first phone call you to make in your life when, when things are great or when things are hard. We want it to be that group leader. We want you to be cared for. And so I tell you, I know the table might seem to be a little intimidating or the, the, the menu that was in the seats. You look at that and say, gosh, I don't even know who those people are. Or, or some of you might think, man, those people in the green shirts, they're like, they're, they're, they're Apostle Pauls. And I don't know if I could jump in one of those. I tell you, don't, don't be intimidated. We Man, we just want, we, we want you to be in a group and community. So, man, at the end of the service, I know some of you might have questions and you say, I'm not sure which group to, to get in. I'm not sure I, I know what might be a good fit for me or my family. I'm going to invite our groups team down here after the service and they would love to answer any questions. And that way, when you go to the table, you'll be ready to go from there. And so I just want you to be aware of that and uh, we'd love to get you plugged in. If you've got your bulletin this morning, uh, you can look on the back there. John's referenced it the last few weeks as we've talked about this series called The You. And, and The You is the idea that for us, that we would be people filled with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and we would overflow. And so that first week, we said the whole figure eight, this whole model of ministry that we're trying to do here at Radius really starts with you. That's who it starts with, being filled with, with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and overflowing to others. And then as you look on there, you'll see in the middle is the home. And we said the first place that you're going to overflow to are your first neighbors, the people you live with, the people that you're closest with, the people that are, are the, the first interaction of your life. Those are your first neighbors. And, and so for some of us, that's a spouse. For some of us, that's kids. Others of us, that's grandkids. Others of us, that's great relationships we have that are close. But you would be so filled with the Holy Spirit that you would overflow to your home which would then lead to the top part of the figure eight, which we're going to talk about today, that we would then begin to overflow to the world where we live, where we work and where we play. I mean, this is quintessential radius, right? And we're going to talk about the Good Samaritan this morning. I've only been here about three and a half years from Texas, and I have probably heard the Good Samaritan preached here at Radius three or four times. And now it's my turn to do it because this is who we are. Matter of fact, if Radius put a theme, verse, or passage underneath the big R on the road, it would be Luke 10, 25 through 37. This is who we are. So how do we overflow and be good neighbors and good Samaritans to the world? It's a passage you probably know well. If you've been at Radius, you've heard it preached. If you're new to the church, you've probably heard it referenced. It's one of those passages that transcends the church. It's kind of like the flood, Adam and Eve, Jesus walking on water, the good Samaritan. You'll hear it referenced in all sorts of areas of society because people just know the story. 
Matter of fact, throughout years, it has even inspired all sorts of artistic representations, things from, from songs to even art. I thought I'd show you a few pictures that, that, uh, that might just be something you would, um, I don't know if you've seen these before. I don't know if you're an art connoisseur. I'm not necessarily one, but I, I thought I'd show you a few. This is a, 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 an artist, Hodler. He's a Swiss artist. This is his representation. He actually painted this several times. Every time he paints the Good Samaritan, when he painted it, you could see like your, your face is drawn to the empathy of the Good Samaritan taking care of the person that's been mugged and beaten and left for dead. I'll show you another one. Maybe a more common artist would be Rembrandt. Uh, this is actually an etching, uh, which is really pretty small. So you're seeing a really blown up version of this. Rembrandt did this Good Samaritan story like four or five times. Uh, crazy, this is the Good Samaritan being taken to the inn, and the Good Samaritan's actually paying the innkeeper at the top. Kind of crazy. He's, he did it with, with uh, drawing and etching and painting. I'll show you another one. That if you were to Google the Good Samaritan and go to images, you might find this guy, French uh, artist Delacroix. This is his. And actually, it's not famous because of the painting itself. It's actually famous because of somebody who copied it. He, too, also painted this multiple times. And one of them, the Good Samaritan, is a Frenchman with a big broad hat. He's all in French clothes, right, because he's a French artist. But let me tell you the guy who copied it. It's a guy named Van Gogh, you know, the artist that cut his ear off and went crazy. He actually mimicked the picture. What he did is he painted a copy of it in mirror image, and then obviously in his impressionistic form, he painted it this way. Um, by the way, when he painted this, he was in an insane asylum in St. Remy. You see, the crazy thing about Van Gogh is that he was raised by a Dutch Reformed pastor, and he went into the ministry. And when he went into the ministry, he was rejected. So then he became a missionary. He became a missionary to Belgium coal miners. And from there, it was such crazy work, and he was getting in with the people that even his church rejected him. They wouldn't let him be a missionary to these coal miners. Well, I tell you all of that to say, when Van Gogh would paint paintings, oftentimes he would try to figure out a way to paint himself in. If you'll look at the Good Samaritan, you can see the orange in his beard. If you've ever seen a Van Gogh painting, you've seen his self-portraits. He's, he's obviously an orange beard kind of a guy. Van Gogh saw himself potentially as the Good Samaritan. I think that's really what he wanted to be. And he was rejected by the church, rejected by folks to, to do the very thing that he wanted to do. And in the final years of his life, this is, this is how I think he envisioned himself. I show you that to say this. I'm fixing to read the Good Samaritan in its entirety. And I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm just going to ask you to envision yourself in the story. For Van Gogh, he saw himself as the Good Samaritan. I know oftentimes we read this and we get these people and, and there, are, there are all these things that we like to allegorize or we like to critique, you know, who, who is this guy and who is this guy and who is this guy? I'm asking you, will you not do that this time when I read it? Will you just put yourself in the story? I think that's the way Jesus intended for listeners to hear it. Instead of us trying to parse out what does the seed and the soil mean or, or what is the talent or, or what is the priest or what's that road from Jericho to Jerusalem like? Ah, just for a minute. Just read it and put yourself in the story. Let me, let me take off there. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Just then an expert in the law stood up to test him. 
saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? John preached on this a few weeks ago. That's the question. Jesus replied, what is written in the law? He asked, and and how do you read it? So the expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you would do it. And Jesus replied, you've answered correctly. He told him, do this and you'll live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you think you got it, big boy, get after it, right? Do it and live. You'll be just fine. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Like, I would do this if you would just, if you just give me some parameters, give me some guidelines. Who's my neighbor? So Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, to, uh, same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, two days' wages. He gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The one who showed mercy to him, the expert said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Crazy story, isn't it? If you put yourself in the story, where do you put yourself? I want you to put yourself in the story the way I think Jesus would want us to. Beaten, broken, Robbed, mugged, left for dead. Put yourself in the story there. I mean, imagine that. I don't know how you imagine that. I don't know if you know of somebody that's been mugged. I don't know if you know of somebody that's been robbed. I don't know if you know of anybody that's been beaten within an inch of their life. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you know of anybody that's been there and been left for dead. Maybe it might be easier for you to kind of in your mind's eye think, man, I'm, I'm somewhere between here and, and Mississippi in one of those 20-mile stretches where there's not a house in sight and I'm on the side of the road broken down and I need some help. Maybe that might be a better way to envision it. I don't know but put yourself in the story and if somebody were to ask you as you're laying on the ground gasping for breath not sure how long you'll make it naked mugged robbed and you're left there if somebody were to ask you hey who's your neighbor what would the answer be anyone who would stop and take care of me right right? How picky are you going to be in that moment? How picky are you going to be? Are we going to make sure that, you know, they pass a background check before they can 
take care of you? You're going to check out their politics? Are we going to see what their lifestyle is? Are we going to do any of that? Or are we just going to really say, man, I just, I'm just accepting your help. I mean, if we put ourselves in that spot, it's, it's really easy. If you'll look on your bulletin, I got a, a little statement there, a definition of neighbor, which is what, the one I think that comes out of the passage, which is this. My neighbor is anyone's need I see and whose need God has put me in position to meet. My neighbor is anyone's need I see and whose need God has put me in a position to meet. Don't you think that's the, the, the definition we get from this passage here? I mean, that's the definition. That's what he wants you to feel. That's what he basically says is, hey, I'm not going to boil this thing down to, to just a few certain kinds of people. It's anyone here. If it's a need, meet it. Now, from this point forward, there's about four or five different ways we could preach this passage. A few, few different ways we could go at it. I mean, if, if we just paused on the idea of anyone, clearly the passage wants us to identify with this idea of anyone because there's this, this rivalry between the Samaritans and what we're assuming is a Jewish traveler. Now, I'm not going to preach on that because I'm going to be really honest with you. Radius in the last couple of years has done a really good job of making it clear to all of us that all seven and a half, eight billion people on the planet are image bearers of God. We can agree with that, right? We, we all know that anyone means anyone, regardless of race or, or creed or lifestyle. All of us, if you are a part of mankind, you have been made in the image of God. And we should see people like that, right? I mean, I could spend some time talking about race here because the, the text clearly gives it to us. I mean, when you talk about a Samaritan and a Jew, it's hard for us to really wrap our hands uh, head around the animosity between the two. But it started way back there in the Old Testament when the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom split. And the northern kingdom centered around Samaria where they get their namesake. And the southern kingdom got its name centered around Jerusalem. And they begin to bicker over where to worship. They begin to bicker over who they could marry. They begin to bicker over what was the law. And so they begin to fuss and fight. And all throughout the gospels, you see this tension between Jews and Samaritans. I mean, I could preach that. But at the end of the day, we here at Radius, hopefully you've been here long enough. And if you haven't, I just tell you, we, we, we want to say, man, every person, every person is loved and cherished by their creator. So I'm not going to preach on anyone today. There's another one, which is need. Meet the need. I mean, it, I mean, there's several verses dedicated to that in the passage, aren't there? I mean, think about what's in this. This guy sees him, and we get 101 on how to meet a need. We get, you know, take your time, willingness, money, investment, put them on your animal, take them to an end, care for them long before, long well after just the, the initial stuff is taken care of. I mean, if we wanted to, we could preach right now, maybe a couple of weeks on how to meet other people's needs. We could do it. But you know what? I, I'm not going to preach that either because here's the reality. You ready for this? The reality is, is we live in Lexington, South Carolina. And most of us, if not all of us, are 
well off. And you don't need a sermon on how to spend your money for somebody in need, right? You don't need a sermon on what to do with your time. We got time. We got time on the lake and on the golf course and at games and events. We got time. We're willing. We can help. You don't need me to preach another sermon on how to meet a need, right? Because we, we could do that. My guess is that for most of us, if we came across somebody in need, we could pull our phone, scroll through our contacts, and find a doctor or a nurse either in our contacts or through our social media. We, we, we have extra money. We could put them in a hotel. We got all of that, right? So I, I'm not preaching on how to meet the need with money. Third way you could preach it is position, that word position, that God has put you in position to meet. Now, I wrestled with this one because this is radius. I mean, the word radius means that I have a sphere of influence, that no matter where I go, where I live and where I work and where I play, that is my position. And in my position, I have influence on people. That is my radius. When you go to work, whether that's at a, in a cubicle or in an open office or whether it's a break room or a water cooler, you are an influence there. That's your radius. Well, when we think about your neighborhood the, the people that live right next to you, that's the position that you live in. Those are your neighbors. Like, I, I don't need to talk about that. Radius talks about that all the time. Where you play, when you go play golf or, or when, when you hang out in the gym or when you have a pickup basketball game, where you play, that is your radius. That's the position you are in. And students, listen to me. This isn't just for moms and dads. Your neighborhood is yours just like it is mom and dad's. Where you work is school and your English class, you are just responsible for that as the next person. And where you play, whether that's in a locker room or a band room or an art room, listen to me, we're responsible. So I, I don't need to preach on that. Radius talks about that all the time. This is what I want to talk about today. I think there's this issue with what we see. I think the issue is not that we don't understand anyone. I don't think the issue is not that we don't know how to meet a need. I don't think the issue is that we don't understand our position. I think the issue is that we just don't know how to see. Let me show it to you. Let's, let's take a look at it in, in verse 31. Look, look at these words that show up over and over again. It says, a priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he saw him. And look at verse 32. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he saw him. And just in case you think anything different happens with the, the Samaritan, look at the good Samaritan, verse 33. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, that means all of them saw him. I'm going to say this. I think they all saw the exact same thing. I think they all saw a mugged, robbed, beaten, naked, left for dead man. But this is what I also think. I do not think they saw the same thing. I don't think they saw the same thing. I think they saw the same thing, but they didn't see the same thing. I think they, they saw the blood. They saw the, the fact he had nothing. They saw all of that, but they didn't see all of that. Let's just walk through the guys for a minute, right? What did the priest see? Most of the time we try to, 
you know, get to motivations on why he walked by. I, I just, I think for us, we just look at it and say, what did he see? For a priest, if, if, you're, if you're new to this, for us at Radius, we, we believe all of you are priests. But in the Old Testament, there was a person that would mediate between God and man. I don't believe you need a mediator. My, I, my prayers get to heaven no quicker than yours do. Right? I'm, just, I'm just a regular old guy who, who's trying to walk with Jesus just like you. But in the Old Testament, they had a priest who would go into the temple and offer sacrifice on behalf of them. And so they would look at this guy and think, here's a guy who mediates on my behalf. You would think he would be the one to stop. But the problem is, is the law would have told him that if he touches blood, he would be defiled. And if the man is dead, then he would have to go through all of this rigmarole to get cleansed again so he could do his job. And so I don't think the priest saw a man robbed and mugged and beaten and left for dead. Well, he saw that, but this is what he saw. He saw a defilement. He saw somebody that was going to defile him, ceremonially make him unclean. I mean, I don't want to touch this. I don't want to get near this. This is, I don't want this on me. Right? I mean, this is, this is, oh man, this is going to mess me up. This is too messy. This is too, too hard. This is, ah, it's going to cause me weeks, set me back weeks. I won't be able to do the priesthood for weeks. Some moral defilement here. I can't, I can't do this. I mean, we live in a, in a world that, that has sometimes, especially in church life, like heightened this idea of separation, haven't we? I mean, we take it sometimes to the extreme where you're supposed to live in a monastery and not be around anybody. But then there are those of us who would say, you know, hey, we don't want to even be in the world, much less of the world. Heaven forbid I get close to somebody and they rub off on me. Right? So the first guy sees defilement. Uh, the second guy is a Levi. What did he, a Levite. What did he see? So Levites would be a little more like me um, in the standpoint that a Levite would be the guy who would basically kind of care for the grounds of the temple. He'd be the guy that preaches and teaches the word and helps the people understand it. So not quite the responsibility of a priest, but still somebody you would expect being in the religious profession and all to help somebody. I wonder what the Levite saw. I wonder if the Levite was, was seeing somebody that when he gets back to the temple and, and he's going to preach, maybe as he's on to Jericho to get in some synagogue and, and preach, I, I wonder if he sees a sermon illustration. I, I wonder if he just sees something like, I can't wait to tell people about this guy that I saw on the road and maybe we can inspire some people to start a ministry and help them. Right? Um. I liken it to this. I don't do politics a lot, um, but I, I, I sometimes when I listen to politicians speak, especially when they have big speeches, and I don't care, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, the most cringeworthy part of the speech for me is when they're, they're trying to make their point, and then they say, and I met this electrician in Podunk, Arkansas. And they go to talking about how they care for them, and how they were just so moved by their story. Are you, are you with me? Am I the only one that cringes at that stuff? I'm like, please don't use this guy. You don't know this guy, right? I just wonder if that's what the Levite's going to do. Oh, and I saw this poor guy mugged and beaten on the side of the road. 
I don't know. What did he see? What did the Samaritan see? I think the Samaritan saw a naked, beaten, mugged, robbed man left for dead. That's what he saw. So now when I look at it, it makes me, makes me wonder about some things. It makes me wonder if my, my, my lookers are broken. My seers don't work. Because I can see something, but I, I, I may not see something. Your, your next phrase on there says this. You ready? What you are determines what you see. What you are determines what you see. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Um, three and a half years ago, moving here to South Carolina, and people want to give me South Carolina culture. And they say, hey, we're going to take you to Sheely's, and we're going to eat barbecue. <laughs> Cultural experience here, right? We're going to go, and man, I'm a people watcher, so I'm already freaked out in that place, right? Man. <laughs> what? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm sitting there, and I'm looking, and I'm overwhelmed, and everybody says, we are going to eat some barbecue. And I get there, and I look at the line, and you got all the veggies, and then you get to this, this hunk of meat that South Carolinians call what? Barbecue. And from Texas, guess what I call that? The other white meat. <laughs> That's just pulled pork with some sauce on it. And we put pulled pork on a sandwich. It's called a po'boy. And you move on. I mean, that, that's it. it I, when you said barbecue, I'm expecting brisket. I'm expecting sausage. I'm expecting that. Why? Because what I am determines what I see. What I am is a Texan and what I see is not barbecue. <laughs> Anybody with me on this? Are you, you feeling this? So when I first moved here and all John ever talks about is Clemson and South Carolina, Clemson and South Carolina, Clemson and South Carolina. Let me be really clear. I just don't care. I thank you. There's some applause. Here. I just don't care. You know why I don't care? Because when I see a Paul and when I see the Gamecock and they're all, you know what I see? I'm just like, this is another college rivalry. It's Auburn, Alabama. It's Florida, Florida State. It's just a, who cares? You know what you see? Because you're South Carolinians, you see your family. You see your friends. You see great memories from 10 years ago when South Carolina won one, actually, right? You, you see that. That's what you see. You know what I see? I see nothing. Now, you show me Texas and Texas A&M. Let's go. Let's go, because I got family that went there. It means something to me, right? What you see is determined, what you are determines what you see. It, it just, it couldn't be any clearer than that. And so when, when we look at this, I mean, I, 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 could get, I could get a little nasty now. I could show some pictures up here. Like, what if I put a picture of, of a president up here? What you are determines what you see. Right? I'm going to leave some. I'm just going to stop there, right? <laughs> um, I, I'm reminded of the old nursery rhyme. You remember the British nursery rhyme? Um, pussycat, pussycat, where have you been? I've been to the castle to see the queen. 
Pussycat, pussycat, what you see there? I saw a mouse under her chair. She went to the castle and missed the queen because she was what? A cat. What are you? What are you? Because, man, I can't fix your lookers. But, man, we, we can sure, through Jesus Christ, fix who we are. And my hope is, is that song we just got through singing a minute ago about Jesus Christ and him buying us and redeeming us and loving us and that while we were still sinners, God sent his son for us and that we have now been adopted, we have been redeemed, we have been saved, we are the body, we are now the hands and feet of Jesus. Like the list goes on, we are friends of God. That is what you are, isn't that good? So it ought to impact what you see. It ought to impact it. And then it goes on and says this, if what you are determines what you see, then what you see determines what you do. Just determines what you do. If you're a priest and what you see is a defilement, what do you do? You keep walking. And if you're a Levite and all you see is a sermon illustration, you keep walking. And if what you are is a Samaritan, this story, you stop and take care of somebody. That's what you do. Um, As we think about overflowing to the world, when we walk out of this place, I would hope that we are so changed by Jesus Christ and what he has done for us that when we walk out, we're able to overflow and be a blessing and good Samaritans to people because we know that the greatest good Samaritan of all, Jesus Christ, is the one who took care of us. He's the one who, who found us, who rescued us, who put us on the horse and and brought us redemption. And so now we are changed because of it. Matter of fact, it it says that pretty blatantly in, in 1 John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 3. Look at it on the screen. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. This is what you are. You are somebody who, who Christ laid down his life for you. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. That's what we should do. Why? If anyone has the world's goods, the ability to meet a need, and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? John just said, we we might want to check if your identity's right. You might want to check that. Crazy, isn't it? So we're going to do something crazy this morning. Ray's been doing something crazy for 18 years, right? This is a chance for us to do it. Um, You're fixing to get an envelope here in a minute. And in this envelope is a $50 bill. And what we want to do here at Radius is we want to give every family one of these. We want to give every family one, and what we want to tell you to do is 
go be a good Samaritan to somebody. That's what we're going to do. We're going to give every family one, and we want you as a family to discuss how we're going to do this. And we're going to do this for three reasons. Number one, because some of you are going to get that $50 in your hand, and immediately you're going to have to check, what am I? What am I? The second reason we're going to give this to you is because you know what you are. We just need to get our head up. We need to get our eyes up. And if I put this 50 bucks in your hands, you now are starting to look around for the person that's broken, beaten, and on the roadside. Third reason we do it is this. I already told you, most of you don't need this, right? We're going to give it to you anyway. Because some of you can stack on top of it. And some of you could do this. I need to start earmarking some money every month for this. Like, this should be a regular part of my routine. I'm not saying pass it through radius. Just, just do it. Some of you need to start doing that. So here in a moment, we're going to sing. And we're going to take communion, which reminds us of what we are. Bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you're going to get this in your hand. And when you do, I'm asking you for the next week or two, figure out where to give it, what to stack on top of it, who to give it to, and we'd love to know how you did it. You don't have to give names. You don't have to give a bunch of details, but we'd love to hear the story of how we went out and, and tried to be good Samaritans. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, um, It's really easy to, to preach this sermon, but in the reality of it is to know that, um, man, I, I just don't see very well. So, Lord, I pray that uh, if anybody else is in the room feeling the same way, that um, you just remind us of what we are. You'd remind us of of um, the great lengths at which you went to call us your own. And because of your sacrifice, we would be willing to sacrifice. Um, Father, I pray that our heads would be up, our eyes would be up. Uh, I pray that as we take this bread and juice this morning and we're reminded of the blood and the body that was spilt and broken for us, that we would... We would just really say thank you for what we are because of it. Yeah, Lord, that's what we ask. Thanks for your goodness to us. Thanks for being our, our good Samaritan so that we can do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.